Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, it's game on for the pizza business and Domino's reasonably fresh CMO, Adam Ballesty, who carved out much of his career in the big brand spirits business at Diageo. The two couldn't be more different in pace, intensity and what's required from marketing and marketers. Domino's sells about seven pizzas every second. Get your head around that one. Adam joined last September with a team of about 60, including strategy and insights. And as he says, it's hardcore retail, flanked by some huge competitive and innovation challenges from the likes of a powering KFC, food delivery aggregators, which now account for a significant part of its business, and it was zero three years ago, and that thing called inflation and rising costs. Like-for-like store growth is slowing at Domino's post-COVID, and it's been punished by investors since late last year. But it has a plan to rekindle some of the magic powers it had for a decade as a pizza and QSR growth powerhouse. Adam is in the thick of that plan for Elixir 3.0, if you'd let me call it that. And amid the battle royale on all those fronts we've mentioned, almost all of them demanding urgent short-term attention, What and can a CMO at the biggest pizza business in the country do about brand building? Does Domino's actually need to? And can pizza do brand purpose? Now, there's a question. So belt in for a typically candid Adam Ballesty conversation on marketing in a post-COVID inflation-challenged, competitively supercharged and increasingly cautious consumer world we're all now facing. Welcome, Adam Ballesty. Finally, we got you on the mic. It's a very good combo, I suspect. Welcome. G'day, mate. Great to hear you. Great to see you. Let's go, shall we? Let's start with something really recent. I think you've just landed mm-hmm. back in recent days from a global Domino's Marketing Leaders Conference um, in the US. Just tell us quickly there, uh, what's on the agenda for global marketers in your group? Yeah, it was the actual global franchisee rally in Las Vegas. Hard to do. Seven and a half thousand people in a room. Crikey. <laughs> it, uh, the Venetian and new CEO. Uh, days into his role, a uh, bit of a shuffle in the leadership. So an introduction of the new group and what they're after and the US, like the rest of the world, staff shortages, price increases, supply challenges, they really exist. And um, that was the agenda, you know. Mm, it dominated everything. Yeah, totally. And um, the CMOs from around the world got together the marketing community got together on either sides of that and, and just trying to figure out how this brand can really become and think more globally was a big part of the agenda. But, you know, just sort of standing in front of the group, they hadn't been together because they only do these things every two years. They hadn't been together for four years. Right. And part of the celebration of being in a franchise model is that you're part of something a lot bigger. So almost just celebrating being back in the room together was uh, reason enough to for it to be a really good time, really fruitful for everyone. So in the marketing community, what were the big topics there? Two, three, four big ones that were sort of capturing everyone's attention. Media mixed modeling, ROI on on media, a really big one. Linear TV, you know, versus connected TV, still a hot topic. And I think it continue will continue to be a hot topic for a long time. And trying to get that balance right and looking at, 
short-term sales versus long-term equity and, and how, how those spends can maximize those. And, you know, the, the head of strategy and insights talking about the role of, of pricing as a strategic vehicle to grow the business over time, they were pretty much the two big topics through the day. We'll come back to this a little bit later, but just that top line on media mix modeling, was there consensus on where it was headed or what was effective, uh, what was becoming more effective, I guess, than what historically you might have done? It's really interesting. I think not consensus, but really lively debate and everyone wanting to get to consensus. A lot of conversation in the room. One of the questions that was posed, if you had $100, where would you put it in acquisition or retention? Mm. And and I think that's just a wonderful question. And the easy answer is Byron Sharp, when you're listening to this, you'll love this, you know, acquisition, getting the category buyers in. It's a impulse purchase. Uh, you know, choice has never been easier. Frictionless purchasing delivered to your door in minutes, all that sort of stuff. So you've got to hit them every time. But there's also a huge bucket of of people in that, you know, equation that with a bit of tender love, you know, uh, love you more. And, and that's a really good conversion as well. And they're already customers and repeat customers, what you're saying there. Yeah. And I think, you know, a heavy user of Domino's is probably a heavy user of any of the others, you know, so that they're, they're just a, a heavy user of, of delivery or a heavy user of, of ordering out. Mm. It's a sort of a life stage or a lifestyle, young singles, young families, that's sort of, it's really appealing and it's, it's easy. So just trying to understand where do you put your dollar and, and the tools that we have available in our system to help us make those decisions. Out of interest, Adam, where did you sit on the spectrum of, if you had a hundred bucks, acquisition or retention, where did you start and did your position change after the conversation with your peers? Our regional CMO, a guy called Todd Riley, who has been in the Domino's uh, system forever, he is really educating the system on customer lifetime value and, you know, making sure that you're creating amazing experiences at great value over time and that will sort of push them along the funnel. And I think that's absolutely a huge part of what we have to do. But I'm always going to sit in the acquisition bucket. You know, in my old world, used to say that, you know, every day someone's having an 18th birthday and we want to be part of celebrating, you know, that time with them. So it's not that I'm on the fence. I can just see that the importance in both roles. So you'd go 50 bucks both ways and you'd have a bet both ways, Mr. Bellisty? I'd probably go 70 acquisition. Okay. Yeah. Well, right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let's see if we can um, unpack that a little bit later because uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Let's just sort of start from the get-go because you landed in September last year and it was hectic from the start, right? It's a little bit different from managing a big spirits brand portfolio <laughs> at a global or even what you did, you know, we, we talked to maybe a year ago about your startup gig uh, in APAC with Seedlip, the non-alcoholic spirits startup. But what's the difference, Adam, between, so your experience with big brands and big spirits brands at Diageo, what's the difference there versus the immediate challenge and the remit at Domino's? And by the way, you, you arrived probably just before the stock market gave Domino's a bit of a clip. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for reminding me of those dates colliding. <laughs> I might need to do more PR on my LinkedIn or something to debunk that sort of correlation. Yes, I was going to say, is it correlation or causation? <laughs> um, well, interestingly, the guy who interviewed me, the CEO at the time, uh, left the business within weeks of, of me starting. Frankly, he was one of the, the reasons why I turned up to the gig. I just found his approach, another 25 you know, year lifer, if you like, at Domino's and started as a wobble. Who was that? A guy called Nick Knight. Um, he started as a, okay. a wobble boarder out at Tamworth as a 14-year-old and 
worked his way, you know, he, he had a bunch of franchises and worked his way into the system and ran the joint. Really great guy, had a terrific pair of Nikes on the interview and I went, I'll work for you. And so it was, <laughs> it was meeting him and also a conversation with um, Don May, who's the global CEO, um, around his sort of vision the next 10 years and specifically around ESG. But those sort of two moments were the reasons why I turned up. So I've turned up. Don lives in LA, fleets between all of his sort of territories. Well, he ran the Australian business for a long time, right? He was the architect of Australia's um, superpower. He is the architect of much of Domino's success uh, in this country and around the world. Um, he's been in the business for 35 years. If What he doesn't know about peace is probably not worth knowing. So those two things, you know, those two people really important for me wanting to turn up. One's out of the equation. The cupboard's pretty bare, you know, and so the biggest difference with a retail business is the cupboard's got to be full of of news and interesting things. Is that a deal? Is that an offer? Is it a product? Is it a service? Is it a new bit of tech? We have been misquoted in the past. Don has been misquoted. So we're a tech company that delivers pizza. Uh, that was all taken out of contest. But but we have an incredible tech team. Well, you drove Domino's drove it early, didn't they? Well, you know, GPS was in partnership with um, you know Defence Force type of you know capability and and partners, right? So. That whole thing that you see on an Uber app, that we were the first in the market around the world to do that. And that's just incredible. So, you know, things were pretty bare and we're running pretty lean um, on things to put in the market. So I have never produced this many ads in a short amount of time. I think I'm, a, I'm, I'm on to campaign number six. Right. Six months in. Yeah. So that and the next four weeks, we've got four weeks of production on four different things. And we are testing and learning and prototyping and putting things in the funnel and concept testing and offers testing like I have never seen. So my first reaction to a question of what's different, it's absolutely the pace. And it's also the scale. You make one tweak to the website and you're changing conversion by half a point and those have got many zeros in them. It has a volume implication. Yeah, and we are a high-volume business, and so you can just see these wheels turn to the point that I had a franchisee reach out to me during the week in an email, and he said, we used to get the TV schedules. Can you start resending them? Because on certain nights when you're heavy on TV and I'm under staff, I feel the pinch. Mm. That is just an incredibly reactive machine that is wonderfully hectic to be part of. Mm. And so let's just go back to a little bit of points you said there. You sort of hinted that Domino's has gone back to the drawing board on a bunch of fronts. I think you said that the cupboard was bare. So there wasn't a lot of product innovation coming through. Was that? A, I'm assuming that's partly to do with COVID or what happened there. But also when we're talking earlier, you talk about this transition very quickly from consumer insight to a consumer proposition or product and it's ferociously focused right now and that's back um what happened and what does that look like what does the drawing board look like yeah i think that um there's probably a bit of a formula in it in a food retail business in terms of product testing and insight or, or at least observation and then you know what to do with that and, you know, the last CMO who'd been in the business for a very long time and had seen incredible success over a great period of time had left. And then you've got a sort of wide range of capability and, and capacity 
just trying to stay in the mix on this retail business. And very quickly, if your horizons are, are, are sort of coming down and, and in, all of a sudden you've got a, a cupboard that's a little bit bare. Mm. They ran a couple of promotions that didn't go how they wanted it to. Some of the testing on some of that stuff probably could have gone a couple of steps further to learn a bit more. So all of a sudden, because this thing moves so fast, if you slow down in any one section, you, you lose some stuff. But, you know, the rigor that we've put back into it, it's not my doing. It's looking at the system, speaking to, you know, my regional CMO, Todd Riley, um, the guys in the US and around the world, and they go into research and they'll see something and it'll be really clear and it'll be an observation. And you turn that observation and you get a great agency and you work with them and, you know, turning that into some great consumer sort of propositions and, and then, you, then you're going out and playing with it. And it's such a rigorous model. and But if you come off it, then you're, you know, shooting in the dark a little bit. Is the consumer insights and research stuff goes through not just to the, I guess, the communications proposition and finding a new angle to find something new. Does it also feed product innovation and menu and does it do that all that as well, I'm imagining? Yeah, the product and service and, you know, how we're turning up and what we're saying at the door, mm. our image, our uniform, our tech and how we you know, support a more frictionless experience or, a, or an easier experience or, you know, bringing new flavours out. And, you know, we've been pretty good at democratising, you know, five-star food. You know, we've got a lava cake on our on our menu that won a um, Gourmet Travellers Award, you know. So right, we've had right. that success in, in the past and it's it's just really uncovering those nuggets and they come from all around. You know, part of the trip that I did in the US, we did a food tour around LA, Adam Ballasty clearly needs to run more kilometres after that trip. <laughs> but spending two and a half days uh, going to food trucks, going to restaurants and checking out what's happening in and outside of pizza. Yeah. And it's terrific in the flavours. And, you know, for the first time in, in my career, I've got, a, um, I've got a chef in my team and he's got a full working kitchen around the corner from my office. And um, it's the same size and, and shape as, a, as a one in the store. It's called our Love Lab. And, and Michael and his team are in there ferociously every day trying new stuff. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. You talked about earlier about a really interesting example of where you talked about the supply chain being incredibly interdependent with product and marketing right now. And you talked about having a big initiative coming out with a campaign on a new product and then it all fell over. Tell us what happened, why that was just literally, oh, we don't have any cheese. Yeah, it's wild. I, I think with some of the numbers being thrown out on, on how much cheese that we use, I'm just by hearing the words, I became lactose intolerant. But, you know, <laughs> I hit the ground running, the cupboard's a bit bare. We work in incredibly hard uh, to produce a product in, in 28 days. I've never done anything like that in, in my life and, and validate it and uh, works really well. And, and using a type of cheese that, you know, we hadn't before, it was for our cheese toasty uh, launch. And our supplier said, yeah, we've got that in store. And it turned out, I think they had 400 kilos and, and we needed two ton every other week or so, you know, it's just like, right. I forget the numbers, but the, it was just ridiculous, the difference. You didn't have the supply. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have the supply. Another thing that's interesting about that, and I, I think it's a, a Brené Brown sort of quote, because I knew I'd heard it before, but when we are in the States, we met up with our mozzarella cheese supplier, right? You can imagine how much of that we use. And they were talking about supply and they were talking about cost and they were talking about labour and 
And they said, look, none of it's our fault, but it's absolutely our responsibility. So having these deep, connected, long-term relationships is the thing that is um, ensuring that we're not closing our doors. We haven't missed a pizza, you know, delivery in, in two and a half years based off, you know, supply. So, and it's incredibly hard and stressful. And Paul Connors, who who runs our procurement team, is constantly under the pump. But we're all facing it. Mm. We're absolutely facing the same problem. So did you have to can that campaign, that new product launch, or delay it as a result? Yeah, we delayed it. We were going to go out with, a, with an offer and we're going to go out with this new product all in the same week. And I think from memory, it was another four to six weeks until we could, you know, gear up our, our cheese supply mm. to launch it. Mm. And that's across the board. I mean, it's obviously not just Domino's feeling that, but this is one of the big challenges, right, at the moment is you've got a combination of supply chain stalling, you've got consumer and price and inflation and interest rates. So there's a really, really you know, confluence of big events that are coming at you right now. I'm interested in um, just talking before we get into a little bit about the consumer mindset and value and this thing that you're doing at Domino's called More for More, the competitive environment. So let's talk food delivery aggregators. Some of your rivals are firing. Consumers, as we said, more value conscious. Let's break it down, shall we? What, you, know, you talk about the vernacular changing now. Domino's was a lead in delivery. And you do own your own fleet, right? You've got your own distribution, yep. which is a little bit different to many. Yep. Just talk through some of those. Let's start with the food aggregators. What's happened there for you? Food delivery aggregators, I should say. Yeah, food delivery aggregators. What an absolute change in the way that, you know, we think about ordering food to the point that, you know, the families are saying, you know, let's get Uber Eats tonight. It's a restaurant, you know, so the, the choice is endless. And, you know, I go to research and I'm hearing stories of a family of five going to three different restaurants you know, in the one night. So choice is, is paramount. They're an incredible partner. We're working with all of them. All of our shops are, are working with them. But even if you order off Uber Eats, you get a Domino's Pizza delivery driver. Um, we don't use any of their fleet, um, never have, because they're employees. They're part of our service equation, us delivering it. Pizza is, and Domino's is made to be delivered. And, you know, pizza is the perfect, you know, delivery food. And so we don't trust that with anyone else other than someone who's deeply trained in that. But that has significantly shifted our business and our thinking and, and how we deal. And if you want to know if something's got a you know, significant impact on a, on a business, you know, I've got a department in my team that points and looks directly at the aggregators. That team didn't exist uh-huh. three years ago, right? So it's, it's shifted our structure. Mm. So, you know, that's really good. And, and so, you know, apps and, and delivery is absolutely the standard of, of where food food is now. And you set it up front, mate. We, we were up the front of that. You know, we, we sort of pioneered in that space and we were the delivery guys. You know, Silvio's Pizza, which was before Domino's that Dom was part of, they were the first to deliver, the first with cars. So it's part of our DNA. And now everyone's in it. I, um, like the rest of the country, got COVID in, in January and it all happened really fast. And I decided, I don't know why, that I wasn't going to drink any booze during that, those two weeks, but I realised I didn't have any kombucha in the house. I'm like, well, I need something. You know, the, the sort of new grocery online delivery guys, from downloading the app to that kombucha being at my front door was 10 minutes. No way. I'm not kidding you. 10 minutes in a branded bag, exactly what I ordered at a price that's really reasonable. And like my mind was spinning. So from the pizza guys who, who have had under 30 minutes, under 25 minute guarantees from time to time, 
all of a sudden this thing turns up in, you know, 10 minutes. Can I ask who that was? It wasn't Woolies or Coles then, was it? No, I don't know. A little one called Volley. You know, there's Milk Run and Volley. And yes, right, okay. One's already gone up and, and come down. So, you know, it's even beyond food aggregators. You know, you've now got these mm. grocery guys and, and they're delivering, you know, snacks and food from petrol stations or whatever. That food aggregation delivery service, the numbers are quite wild and what it ranges, but it's sort of somewhere between 800 and 1.8 billion in terms of revenues, but orders being generated through the aggregation in total, right? Is that right? It's absolutely right. The numbers really vary in terms of what it is, but the answer's a lot, right? <laughs> yes. The answer, however you look at it, is there's a lot happening. Mm. It's definitely a, a delivery generation and no one has to leave their their home and the restaurant's in their hand. It's incredible. Do you have any stats in front of you that says what percentage of your business is delivery versus pickup? It must be substantially skews to delivery, does it? Yeah, we're, we're a delivery business. Interestingly, in, in New Zealand, just historically, we're a, we're a pickup business, different. But yeah, predominantly here, majority, well, more than 50% is, is delivery Righto. here. We've always had a terrific pickup business. We show tremendous value in a pickup pizza. We've got a $5 pizza. We've got a $3 mini pickup pizza. And pizza was invented in Italy during hard times. It's tasty and it's fast and it's great value. So we're built for times like this. And we've always had that, that great value equation for pickup. So because of that historical business, we're probably known for too long as the $5 pizza company. Right. That's a tremendous cornerstone of, of our business. Let's really quickly talk on the competitive set because you've got some players out there that are being competitive, that are doing well. How does that make you think? How does that make you respond? What are you looking at there and who's doing it well? I don't think anyone's doing it badly, to be honest. I think everyone's in for their fight of the life and I heard Sally Fitzgibbon, the, the surfer, once say that, you know, everyone's chasing their own world title. And when I look at the competitive set, I very rarely in my career dismissed a competitor, but I'm in admiration of what's happening with the two big ones. And I watch a lot of rugby league and I, I watch a lot of AFL. And I think some of the work that they're doing in culture around those sports are outstanding. And they, they are really existing in culture. They've moved way beyond price and promotion. They've gone way beyond just talking about their product. And I think they're having a real lot of fun with the consumer out in culture, and I love it. So, I mean, I guess you can't say it, but I'm just going to say it because I'm the bloody bastard journo, but you're talking there about Maccas and KFC then, maybe? You can't say it. Well, you just go look at the football and either code and, and you'll work it out really quickly. But work it out. Yeah, but they're wonderful, right? They're doing some incredible thing in their, their media integration and their real-time integration. Is just fantastic and I, I admire it deeply and, and I look at it fondly and I'm figuring out where's my entry point. Mm. Well, I mean, so apart from that stuff, because that's obviously still in play, but it would seem that you still do have a bit of secret sauce at Domino's, Adam, and that is one, you have your distribution sorter, you own your own fleet. And secondly, because of that and so being so long into that and having a direct delivery service, you've got great first-party data. You know, you own that last mile and delivery as well. So there's got to be opportunity there. I'm interested, you know, are you thinking about that and what is the opportunity? First party data and owning your own distribution is actually what many would love themselves. It's all I think about. Right. I absolutely adore that we are a pizza company. We've got this incredible 
franchise community. They are a superpower. Their engagement in the community is outstanding. They are feverish in terms of their commitment to, to pizza. They talk about having pizza run through their veins and, and I can see it every time I, I'm in front of them. So that's a really big sort of cornerstone for me is the community of, of franchisees and, and who's sort of, you know, running their own business. I think about, you know, delivery and end to end. And what I love about it is that a part-time delivery driver and me, we're both getting paid weekly, right? And, and so we're all part of the same team. And, you know, the store managers in our system are revered. They are the ones that really run the show and, and we're all there to support them. But delivery from, from all the way through to raw ingredients to knocking on your door and saying, hey, I'm Adam. Um, I left at quarter past seven. You ordered two pizzas and here they are and this is the price. Thanks and see you again. That's an incredible service that we get to offer and that's where we're looking at. And then first-party data, I think we're absolutely blessed. We have some of the cleanest. It is the cleanest that I've come across. And probably my only criticism is we're probably a little bit too excited about our data and we use it probably too often. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so if you order from me today, why, why am I talking to you tomorrow? Mm. And so we can probably be a bit smarter in, in how we're deploying that data and what we're doing with it. Mm. But it's an incredibly powerful tool. So does that just become then more an issue of understanding using even machine learning and all the rest of it to understand what the journey should look like and the frequency of contact and how you communicate with each of those? Is that all where it needs to go or am I just talking really top line simpleton stuff? No, not at all. So many of the people, you know, listening to this will go, this is what we do, AB. Like this is, and we've sort of been focusing on other things, but just having that one view of the customer is really important. Mm. Making sure that all of our channels are working together, you know, bringing our media agency WaveMaker really close into that conversation, and making sure that there's there's sort of no barriers between that media channel and that media channel, and making sure that we're moving as as one. I think for us, there's a there's an incredible short and medium term game of of getting that data integrated with our media strategy and really supercharging it. And so spending a lot of time in there and, and trying to understand the, the changes that, that can be made. Well, before we, when we're about to get onto sort of brand versus retail and <laughs> can pizza do purpose and all those, which is really, I'm fascinated what you're going to say there. But is there work to do on your tech stack then? Do you need to do something differently with, you know, in regards to CDPs and all the things that sit over the top of it, the technology that can sit over the top and help that? Or is it more about people and capabilities? Both, although I do think we've got the people, but there's definitely some you know tech stack stuff that needs to be finalised and and built into sort of usage. Right now, we know what we're getting after. We love to build, so it's rare that we've taken stuff off the shelf. So when we start building these things, we we build them. I think that has a benefit, right? And and also probably a time constraint thing because it'd be really easy to get into a into a conversation with a supplier and buy one and plug it in. Mm. So there's a bit of a speed issue there. But having a proprietary tool has done amazing things for us around GPS in the past. So, you know, it's not broke, you know, don't fix it. But we've got an incredible team, constantly needs focus and prioritisation, but we are looking at all the right things and, and they are being built, got it. which is exciting. Well, let's talk brand versus retail tactics and moving selling product because does brand building and investing for the longer haul even matter right now for Domino's? It's a question that I think a bunch of 
executive leadership teams and boards are asking, but you know, you're a long career brand guy in retail. Does it matter? Yes. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. And I said that in the interview. I'm not here to be the, the, the price and slice promo guy. And I think, but we do need sales momentum as, as does everyone. But I, I will always say until the end of my career that brand is the thing that sets you free and that allows you to thrive. And I think that that's the journey that we're on. But, you know, we don't have to make, you know, six minute purpose videos around our driver. We just need to say stuff that matters and that counts with consistency and things like brand assets and memory structures are key. Mm. And so you have to revere the things that are important and let the things go that are, that are not and try and be a bit patient. Patience and brand building come hand in hand. And I think the only thing that a retail business is, is, is not patient. I was going to say it's impatient. It's the antithesis to that, right? That's right. So you, you get permission to sit up on that table and it's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's tweaking along the way. But, you know, brand is paramount to where I come in. And that goes from semiotics to colours to sonic to voiceover, you know, the whole thing. And, mm. you know, the last few years probably just lost a little bit of that shine, but there's, there's ways to get back there quickly. So, you know, if you're talking at the moment about sort of making sure you're moving product tactical stuff and offers and price off or some new product innovation, the new news, as you talk about, is important in retail. Have you done any brand work? Have you delayed the brand work? Is the brand work coming? I did see, you know, I've got a 15-year-old and he's, he's all over the, the ad with that big buffy bloke coming in to um, play the piano with a kid. And it was quite, that was a bit of both, I guess that was. But that was, did that work, that ad? How long has that been out? Yeah, it, it has worked. I think I said right up front, we measure, you know, short-term sales capability and, and long-time, you know, brand building. And next Monday, we launch a, an ad for a pizza and it's the number one that we've ever tested. And so both on long-term... In terms of an ad, ad dimensions, you like? Yeah, right. correct. So in link testing with, with Cantar. So that's, that's worked, you know, so we're learning that muscle really quickly as a group and uh, that's exciting. Um, but that's exactly it. I, I can remember years ago, one of the gin brands at Diageo had, had gone on a, you know, brand purpose journey and worked out all its sort of brand story and sort of shared it with the, the sort of CMOs around the world and pretty much sort of thrown out and, and not agreed to. So they sort of went back and, and redid that work. I will never live in that luxury in this business. Hmm. So any brand work that we do will be on the run, in situ, test and learn. I'm not going to sit in a workshop with 15 people who are smarter than me and, and do a brand purpose workshop. That is that is not what I'm here to do. But I'm I'm here to ensure that the brand has some sort of consistency and relevance with the consumer and, and understanding those different consumer groups and, and how they sort of interact with our brand is, is really important. I think, I don't know, in the last couple of years, you did a big fancy sounding course at Cambridge around, I think it was around ESG and sustainability and purpose. Is that right? Yeah. So yep. with that as a, you know, you've got more credentials than I do for sure, but can, you know, this purpose thing and everyone's talking about it, can you do pizza and purpose? Well, what is the purpose of a pizza? Absolutely, you can. We have a charity called Give for Good that, that has been alive and kicking for some time. And this year, we took it to the consumer and raised some real money for our charity partners, and it worked, and it was strong. And we have some great charity partners. And next year, that's going to be you know bigger again and, and more important. The other thing where purpose really, really lives, mate, is you know during the floods in southeast Queensland, 
Our stores were, unless they were underwater, they were continuing to deliver pizza. They were handing out pizza to people that didn't have homes. We went and raised more money, you know, through the franchise, you know, community with that. That is purpose alive and kicking in our behaviours and our actions. And we do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And that's a central sort of tenet of who we are. And that's purpose running through the veins. But one of the big reasons that I, you know, turned up here was the conversation I had with Don May around their ESG goals. And, you know, I was caught in the bushfires and I was emotionally scarred by that. And I did make a decision to go sort of educate myself about what scope one, two and three means and, you know, all this all this sort of stuff and, and what my role around it at exec table could do in that situation. And so I asked him that question and the picture that he painted out to 2030 and out to 2050 hooked me. I went from being interested to elbowing people out of the way to get this job because we are such a high volume business and we make a small percentage change and that's going to have a significant impact in the world that we live in. And so I'm really excited by that stuff. And to the point that that will become consumer facing, we will have products and offerings and ingredients that are better for the planet. And we will use suppliers that are having a a better impact on the planet than are not. And recycling and, you know, our cardboard box is fully recyclable now, but we're not in, like, how does it become compostable, you know, and how does it become an active ingredient in compost? And these are the early conversations that we're having and as you can see, as my voice raises, this is the stuff that gets me really excited and yeah. one of the big reasons I'm here. Well, it's important stuff. And so, but are you saying then that it's a transition to that or were you, you know, if we go to scope three, for instance, because I can talk to you about scope three because you've done the hard yards. Yeah. But scope three is about supply chain, right? And supply chain all the way through, not just in terms of your inputs for your product, but hey, let's talk about media and technology partners as well and totally. supply chain there and what, you know, there's all of that. Where do, you know, are you thinking about and that? And how we're traveling and scope one and two is definitely where our immediate impact will be. But the worldwide rally that I went to, um, seven and a half thousand people, I was thinking about the one that we just had on the Gold Coast for 2,000 people for the Australian New Zealand franchisees. And we've got a post-mortem of that maybe next week. And, and how we can make next year's better. And one of the notes that I wrote down is, how do we make that event carbon neutral? Right. So it is, yes, it's transitional. I would say it's more of a journey that we've already been on. We've made some inroads from, from day one. Well, for, you know, for a long time around our cardboard box and ingredients and all that sort of stuff. And, but definitely it will ramp up into, into 2030 because there's some very serious goals that have been taken very seriously that are, connected to people's remuneration. Are they, have they been publicly announced? I'm just interested in the urgency or the time frame on that. Oh, they haven't been announced. Okay, so you can't talk about that yet. But they're coming. They're coming real fast. Okay, so look, that's really interesting. And I think um, just get you on one thought there on Scope 3 because we're seeing it with, you know, Jeremy uh, Nicholas at Telstra, at CMO at Telstra, who's moving on soon to another part of Telstra, but he talks about it. And we're hearing a little bit more that from the brand and advertiser and marketer side, if the supply chain in both on agency, in tech, vendors and media suppliers, if they are not aligned with scope three goals of company like Domino's, you will choose other media partners, for instance, or other tech partners. Will you get to that point at some time? Yeah, totally. I think we'll get to a point where we will want a percentage of our outdoor to be solar powered or whatever. Like I think we will start- Renewables or whatever it is. Right. right? I think we will start building out 
frameworks and, you know, obviously things like modern slavery already sits there and audits with partners, all those things are real, right, for a lot of us. But I think once we get our own house in order and what we can start working on and focusing on and having an impact, I think, of course, the circle comes out and you start looking at other areas to make an impact. And we can have that influence because we're that big. It'll be interesting, Adam, and, and you know, you're a big TV buyer, uh, broadcast and connected TV, and we'll see what, I'm not sure where you're going with BVOD and mobile, but even in television production and sporting productions, getting to scope three and getting sustainable production in that around television shows, those things are enormous sort of beasts to bite. Yep. And I hope I'm sitting in a seat where I can influence that stuff when it comes. Listen, you have changed up your agency since you've landed at Domino's. Talk through the rationale for that. What was the intent and what's happened so far? Never wanted to be the the CMO that comes in and changes media agencies and changes ad agencies, but I did have a remit to to find growth. And you know, for me, a lot of growth comes in creativity. And where we're going with media channels and coming out of TV and into activation and taking those ideas that resonate in culture, I knew before I started that I probably needed some help, and I didn't know if that was just a you know, like a like a brand planner in-house. I, I spoke to a lot of CMOs before I started, Lisa Ronson, um, Mr. Smart, and talked about, you know, the changes they made and the people they had in their team and how they sort of set up their, their teams and, and partners. And I, I realised very quickly that there was probably a need for a, a different creative solution, but I wasn't probably going to be able to walk through the front door of a monkeys or pick one. Yep. Um, Sarchis and, and, and do all that, although I would have loved to. So I sort of worked with some people that I'd sort of known in the past and when they became available and and It's Friday was born and Peter Bozolkowski is is leading that charge and he's got, you know, Vinny from an ECD point of view and, you know, Jeremy de Villiers who's a Swiss Army knife and, you know, Kate from a planning point of view and yes. just an incredible bunch of people that I have been really lucky to work with in in my life and to bring them together as under one and and we're already working the work together and and we've produced a lot of stuff on the run and and um we're we're having a tremendous time it's it's where i get a lot of joy and it's working so you're happy with what's happening because you know uh being a foundation client for what should be a startup with a very big retail business straight away and retail is hard to do so that's working from a zero base to an agency operating with big, big, fast, intense agendas from Domino's. You're happy? Sure are. We're really happy. They are working too hard and and too fast, and that's not sustainable. And we've gone from briefing over telephones and to writing a brief and having an objective and and all of that sort of stuff that's essential to make sure that we're all accountable and, and aligned to what happens next. Yeah, right. But right. We're, we're getting there every day. We we get in front of ourselves a little bit more and and the insights there and the learnings there and, and you know, bringing everyone together at the same time and the media agency, uh, you know, out of Brisbane Wavemaker, they're right up the front of the bus in that thinking now. So we had a, we had a brief yesterday come back and it's, it's Wavemaker and it's Friday presenting together and that's new and everyone's going to go, well, mm. that's what we all do, AB, but it's it's new for us and so it's really working. More laughs than tears at this stage. <laughs> that's a really good sign. So congratulations <laughs> on that one because it can very quickly go the other way, right? Your marketing team, now this is a, the question du jour, it's the issue du jour for many. Your Sydney, Teams Brisbane, how's that going? 
Well, for the first few months, I, I never met them. It was a consultative job over Zoom. I found that really weird and really hard and very stressful. And then I was up and allowed into Queensland and I'm up there every week now. They're incredible. They hustle, they're young, they're collaborative. They know this business incredibly well. It's starting to work really well. Uh, there's probably days where I wish I was there and not here. The hallway conversation is a real thing and I don't think it goes away. And I think this hybrid model could probably work long term. It's got its own teething problems. I'm definitely a people person. I'm, I'm definitely. I was going to say, you're the sort of, you hear this thing of depending on your personality, are you introspective or not? And the introspectives love being away in their caves. Those that are overt and, and um, sort of more people focused, yeah. they suffer a little bit more, struggle a bit more. Yeah, there's probably part of me that's both of those things. There's some days that I want to hide in a cave and and look at an Excel spreadsheet and figure it out with no one else talking to me. Mm. But I'm definitely an an in-the-office guy walking the hallways, you know, chatting to people. And the the stories that I could tell you that, you know, being in the office for the first three hours and I heard something that I probably never would have heard of if it was – because it's so – yeah. It's so black and white at Zoom. It's not just a, hey, how are you going? You know, like it's never that. Mm. We've got an agenda, we've got an hour, and we're here to solve something. So mm. I definitely see it working for sure. Well, look, there's a whole bunch of things I haven't asked you, but I'll ask you just the one big amorphous big one, which is what's next? So the next 12 months, Adam Ballesty, Domino's, marketing team, Domino's, product innovation, market mix, media, like just tell us your whole plan, would you? Yeah, it's basically those things. I think the biggest thing for me is that we get a much longer term view in terms of what's in the hopper and what's going to come. And we will know how they are going to perform before they're launched, give or take. So I just need to find breathing space for my team. And we're going to get that by being planned. And I know that the minute that we are planned, the thinking will go deeper because everyone needs time right? And we don't have any time at the moment. So that is my, my next 12 months is to give everyone in the system more time to think. We're going to be better planned. That's it. There is no yeah. other sizzle to that. And can you apply that to yourself? Because that's often the problem. <laughs> can you get time? Well, as I said to you before we started, I went surfing this morning mm. and I haven't done that since I've started. And um, I think that type of stuff is deeply important to me and to everyone, right? So to mm. get out in the water this morning was the first sign of me trying to find some space for me. Adam Bellisty, I look forward to looping around in a few months and having you on some broader marketing-themed challenges and issues and trends that are going on, which you've touched on a few of them, but no time to go deep. To Domino's and pizza, we will talk. Thanks for joining. Thanks, mate. Great to see you. Thanks for the opportunity. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's more. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.